There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Genesis chapter 6. Starting our reading this morning, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, thank you for your grace that has revealed itself to us. God, I just pray this morning that as we open up your word, we would hear your voice and hear you speak. And God, that that amazing love that you have declared for us, proclaimed on the cross, proven by the empty grave, God, will we just rest in that? Thank you for who you are and who you call us to be. In your son's name, amen. You guys may have a seat. So as we've been making our way through uh, the Bible, we've come to these various moments. And uh, last week, we looked at kind of this this collection of moments and and this genealogy from Adam through Seth and and that line that followed. And we saw last week in chapter 5 these phrases over and over, and he died and he died and he died. And come the end of that, we looked at the fact that when we looked at the names of these men, that there was this coherent message clearly communicated as we looked at every single one of their names that testify this statement. Their very names in a sentence lining up to say, Man appointed, mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall descend, teaching his death shall bring the sign, rest. Understanding that this all communicated that, yes, as Romans tells us, the wages of sin is death, but that verse continues to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we had a little bit of a Methuselah meltdown last week. Give you that. So hopefully a little quiz for those is uh, how long did Methuselah live? 969 years. There we go. Exactly. 969 years. I know I made that complicated, but so we'll once again clear that up. Methuselah, who lived 969 years, the longest living human in all of history. The longest living man whose name means his death shall bring. And God wanting to communicate so clearly as he says to us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Enoch, a man who walked with God, his son Methuselah, God declaring, when that son dies, my judgment on sin will come. And then God to declare how patient he is with the world that rejects him is that the longest period of human life is how long he waits before he would bring his judgment. And then we, we, even within our Q&R time, when we got into this awesome moment, we're looking at his son, not to be confused with the line of Cain, Methuselah, who would live 777 years. And again, we, we kind of got into a discussion last week, but clearly God wanting to communicate as we look at this number of seven, we look at seven days in a week, and, and what we see over is, and sometimes we, we refer to it as God's number, but what God wants to make clear is this is a number of a sign of completeness. That seven is a sign of something being complete. And that both father and son would end up dying the year of the flood. God, all of this to communicate in the longest span of a human's life. And then his son with the 777, that God's grace is complete. As he would declare on the cross, it is finished. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 tells us, for, if I, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And as we go through this, you're going to begin to see a pattern of God as we see here with Noah. And it's going to get repeated all throughout Scripture. And yet there's going to be many things as you go through Scripture that God will declare and do that just will not make sense to us. They just won't. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As, high as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But I do want to make this clear. In our, some, in our struggle to understand what God is doing or declaring, Please understand that at no point in our misunderstanding and our lack of comprehending does it in any way paint God as some cosmic prankster. God has no pleasure in man's ignorance. And I want this to be understand because we're going to even look at this today. Is within the pantheon of religions, there is these ideas of these, these false gods, these demigods, these prankster gods. And a lot of times we can take these, these different Greek and Roman and, and Norse ideas and just all these different pantheons and we'll start to put on God characteristics that he has made very clear he is holy and separate and distinct from. Please understand Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says this, He, speaking of God, is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And with that, we come to now Genesis chapter 6, there in verse 1, and it says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now this word sons of God is, a, is an interesting one, and there's been uh, various debates, and there's all, there, there is a myriad of different uh, discussions and, and, and debates on, on exactly what this means. But this word son of God take, ends up taking kind of two distinct junction points that people either want to take it through this, that the sons of God is referring as we looked at that, that communication of God's promise through the line of Seth. And some people say, oh, well, sons of God has to do with the line of Seth and, and that 
Somehow what we're looking at is, is this line of Seth starting to marry with the, the line of Cain. And I just want to say that there are people who go there. I don't believe you can take what Scripture tells us to be that at all. Because nowhere other than as we declare, as we see God putting up a, stru- a structured sentence of these men's name, are you going to ever hear about the righteous line of Seth? Yes, Matthew is going to repeat that line of Seth as a genealogy by which Jesus comes from, but then there's a completely different mirrored genealogy that we also see, and so you're not going to really see that. The other big reason why is what we end up having with the, with the other avenue is that the sons of God were actually referring to fallen angels. We're talking about demons, and that is because that phrase there, sons of God, is the phrase bene ha Elohim. And the reason I bring that up is because in the Greek translation, the Bible that Jesus would have had, that every time you have bene Elohim, yeah, that was a, no. Anytime you have that phrase, sons of God, in Deuteronomy, Job, and Psalm, it's always translated angels is that it is talking about those creatures like Adam who were directly created from God. Remember, we read in Adam's genealogy that man was then formed in Adam's likeness. But in here, every time you see that phrase, Elohim, it is always translated angels. And so because of that, really, if you just take the text at what it says, it doesn't say righteous line of Seth. It says that the angels saw the daughters of men, and that word men, again, being mankind, no specific family group. It's the same word as Adam, the the singular, and yet also for all mankind. That they were beautiful and that they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And because of what this interaction is is taking place, verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for indeed... He is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, some end up making an error here, and then it becomes complicated as you go through the rest of the Bible. As they say, wait, didn't God declare that man's not going to live 120 years? And some put that as somehow God's declaring a lifespan. And then you're going to continue out throughout Scripture and go, wait a second. They're living much longer than 120 years. This is not a declaration of the lifespan of man. But in fact, God has just initiated the countdown clock to the flood. And that this is 120 years from when God is going to bring the flood. And so this is setting up this moment where God is saying, I have been striving with man and no more. The clock is set 120 years from this moment and I'm going to deal with this. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has this very lengthy discussion with his disciples in which he discusses the the signs of the end times, the great tribulation, and Jesus' second coming, the, the day of the Lord. And in Matthew 24, verse 36 through 39, it says, But the day, Jesus speaking, and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so I want us to, again, that's what we're going to be looking at this week as we kind of, before we get to even this moment of the flood. 
is this is a moment in Scripture that Jesus directly relates to. It says, the days of Noah, what was that like? And we see right here in verse 4, the corruption that had began to take place as humans began to be corrupted and giving in marriage to those fallen angels. It says there were giants. The word there is Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. This word, again, giants, this Nephilim, notice right there, and I want this to be picked up because some might question, but yet even here God declares, it says that they were there during the days of Noah, but also afterward. You're going to see this, this, this group of, of, of these hybrids, these Nephilim that are going to come up again in numbers as they go in to take the land. But as we discuss this word and we look at exactly who these men of old were, I want us to look at, uh, again, as we, we talk about setting this, is understanding God's character being distinctly different. Many of you have, have maybe gone through it, and there's, there's plenty of fun, fictional mythology stories uh, surrounding men like Atlas, Hercules. You have these stories of these, these titans and these demigods. And in Greek and Roman mythology, they're, they're lifted up to be these, these heroes. But understand that what is taking place in that mythos is once again Satan twisting and retelling the reality of who these people were. That these demigods, these these fallen gods, these lower gods, those who, who are seen in, in those, as those spawn of the titans, those who, who would then go in and create these, these offspring when we're looking at them, is that these gods, as God would then later throughout Scripture discuss the gods of this earth, are in fact these fallen angels who have rejected God's authority and yes, have actually come down and that these fallen angels, these false gods, came and had sex with humans and made, and how were they then presented? These heroes of old. It's these stories of, of, of again, that would then span and create all kinds of fictional mythos that, that we can tend to enjoy and that we can get lost in the understanding. And, and again, Satan wanting to then take the spiritual truth and, and kind of twist it around to where then it's almost something that we celebrate. It's understanding that, that these, these sons of God, these, these bene Elohim, these angels, that they left their proper domain to corrupt the human race. It says in Jude chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Again, what's interesting, again, as you go through our scriptures to understand, and if you go through, again, the, the mythos, Greek and Roman pantheon, is that you have these titans who would eventually be cast down into the netherworld to be bound and chained. And again, you start to go, wait, this sounds familiar. Yes, it's the standard MO of Satan is to take what is a spiritual truth, 
twist it, push it out throughout men. So what we end up doing is we ignore spiritual truth, thinking it's just another story. Satan will come at us with the same strategy from different angles over and over and over. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So as we see this moment unfolding and you start to ask yourself, okay, wait a second, am I hearing what I'm hearing? Are you telling me that angels who were with God left that dimension to come and have sex with women and that that produced these crazy giant offspring? That's what scripture says. And that, wait a second, those men would then be told the stories as if they were Atlas and Hercules, as if they were men uh, to, to be honored and to be revered and to be sought after. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And why? Okay, so wait, why, what is the purpose? How could they do that? It goes all the way back, as we've already read in Genesis chapter 3, when God made a declaration to the Nakash, the serpent, the original one to rebel and to come down and then try and manipulate and to ruin mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says, So the Lord God said to the Nahash, the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Is as God makes his declaration to the serpent, there is coming a seed from this line, and it is going to destroy you. And to follow in suit as their father, Lucifer, the shining one, who came to corrupt, as now these other angels come down and going, then this is what we're going to do. We are so going to manipulate and intermingle with the genealogy of men that we're going to corrupt the entire line to try and prevent this from taking place. And I want you to understand that because there's a spiritual truth told to us in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, the enemy has caused so much division over us looking at each other by our characteristics, by our looks, by our skin tones, and, and create this idea of somehow we are, there are foreigners that we are for and against and that there's all this attack and that somehow we fight each other on this physical level when God is wanting to make clear is your enemy is not with each other. You are the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. You are that, that line that he is calling back. But yet it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you understand what was going on during this time. Is this, this was a, a moment where humans were willingly, in order to once again try and take power and authority, allowing themselves to, to intermingle, to fall to the standard operating of Satan is to want to take for themselves the, the secret truths. You want to have this special power. You want to have these 
secret truth, then all you have to do is give yourself to these fallen ones. And as men willingly began to engage in intermingling and giving themselves and marrying, this is completely mirrored as God says, what business does light have to do with dark? That when he speaks of marriage, he speaks of an equal yoking because there is no place for light and dark. God says that he is light and there is no darkness in him. That you can't have a fresh spring and a saltwater spring in the same. And there is a corruption taking place and it is corrupted. It is the same corruption that we undergo when we willingly give in to our flesh nature when we allow ourselves to marry and to compromise and to think that what we're doing is, again, we get distracted thinking that these are just surface-level issues and to understand that there is a spiritual reality that is escaping us when we engage in spiritual compromise. And we think it's just on a surface level. Verse 5 says, and as we started this morning, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, again, as you go through Scripture, you're not always going to see why God does something. God doesn't always explain. There's this amazing moment between God and Job where where Job has, has, has been coming before God and asking him why and why and why, and God speaks, and God never gives an answer to him. But he reveals himself, and it changes Job. And there's going to be moments where you're not always going to understand why God's doing something, why he's declaring something, but this is this amazing moment in Scripture, though they may be few, where God tells us exactly why he is about to do what he's about to do and wiping out sin and corruption on this earth. And it starts from a place, please understand it, it doesn't start from a God of vengeance who is angry. But again, the pattern we've seen with Adam and now again we see with Cain and yet again with all of humanity that it says his heart was broken. That he was a God who was sorrow and his heart ached. He looked at his children It says, what have you done? This is not a God of anger, but a God who is broken hearted by the sin of man. And yet within that, we come to verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That God had declared a promise all the way back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And God has declared that even when all of man becomes unfaithful, he is faithful to his promises and his word. And God has declared here that he is going to protect and carry out his redemption from the enemy's corruption. So please understand, Noah was not saved because he was some super religious, all-perfect guy who never failed. It says very clearly that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, I, again, to you, Ephesians chapter, eight, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah was a just man, and when we think of someone being just, many times our mind goes immediately to their actions, that there's someone who who acts in, in in a justly manner. But again, remember, those good deeds... They're just the fruit 
of the proof of life. They're not the seed. That Habakkuk chapter 2, Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 11, all make perfectly clear. The just shall live by faith. That a man is declared just by faith. And that the evidence of that justified life will be the fruit that they bear. Now, just an, just an interesting uh, set of words here when it talked about the fact that uh, this is the genealogy and we talk about generations of Noah. This is just going to, and I, do with it what you will, but there's this fun thing that that's the same word where we get our, our word for genes when we think of what makes us up, our, our genes. And what's interesting again is that that word perfect has more to do with whenever you look at, like when they would talk about the sacrifice that was supposed to come, it talked about that, that spotless lamb without blemish. And so here, here is a man that was just declared someone who has unblemished genes as we see this, this angelic corruption taking place. A man who first was justified by faith and the evidence of that was how he lived his life and the produce of that was in unblemished genes. The promise you and I have this morning is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, But he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now you understand when Christ says that all things have become new, that when you place your faith in him, that you are a new creation. All things have been made new. And like Enoch, who showed us the very answer to never facing the sting of death, we see once again a man who walked with God. Noah walked with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 10, it says, And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, with their, their earth, also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He has communicated now to Noah the thing that we read right at the beginning. Noah I've just started the clock. There is coming an end to this corruption. There's coming an end to the marrying of spiritual depravity and flesh and my children. And that is why in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, we, we need to understand within that context what Jesus meant when he said, in the days of Noah, Guys, we are coming to the end of this world. And it is ascribed for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents. I love how that one always gets thrown in this list. A lot of us like to try and go, well, at least I'm not a murderer, at least I'm not a this, at least I'm not a that. And God goes, let me just put in the midst of all of what I define as evil in the end times, not taking out the trash when your parents tell you. Just not putting that on anyone, just throwing it out there. Unthankful, 
unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Second Peter chapter 3 would, would tell us this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is this, where is the promise coming from? God's been saying this since all the way back in the garden. When is this that in the end times, one of the major things is go, come on. This has been talked about for generations and generations. For since their fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing still out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. We covered that as we looked at God's amazing proclamation to the end times and the fact that as we look at exactly how the Bible marches out this time, that we are in the 6,000th year. But then one of my all-time favorite verses as we started off with, Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, speaking of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we, those who have been made new, we who have been declared spotless and blameless, not because of how good we are, but by simple faith we live and are justified. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we close out this morning. The, the, the thing I want us to, to first take note of is, again, you're going to see a pattern of God's characteristic, but again, I want to declare to you the same pattern of an enemy who continues the same thing he did from the very beginning, the thing that caused him to step from his domain is to twist God's word of truth and to suppress spiritual reality, to elevate disobedience to a place of heroism. To make it as though as to rebel against God is somehow heroic. To stand up and say, I willfully sin is somehow heroic. These are the signs, God says, this is what the end is going to look like. And it's been like this before because it was the same way as in Noah's day. And there is coming a righteous judgment upon this 
evil, upon this marrying of corruption. But with that same promise, in the same way, you have a God who says, but I am patiently waiting. I waited for Methuselah's time frame. I let his son show the completeness of my grace. In the same stance today, that by the cross, he's saying, I am patiently waiting before I am going to let loose my hold on this world and all the elements of this place will literally melt apart. That he is patiently waiting. But that this sober reality should take place. And I, I don't mean this as condemnation. I want us to soberly understand what it means. And, and, and I don't mean to pick on, on one particular sin, but in the context of what we've been dealing with in sexual immorality, things that you will see again related all the way back to Old Testament time of Numbers with, with Balaam that God's going to address in the book of Revelation and even now today. That many of us will convince ourselves that our sin is somehow simply just even self-worship. But understand what God says is that there is an enemy behind that is pulling the strings. And that to allow ourselves to be corrupted by our flesh into this world is not simply just to give in to our animalistic natures, but to understand that for something like fornication, sex outside of marriage, in any scope wrapped around that you would want to conceivably put up. It's not simply just self-gratification, but in fact with the very practices of those who worshipped these fallen false gods, that they engaged in sexual acts to worship what they thought were gods that we understand now to be these fallen angels who came down to corrupt men. And so to engage in sexual immorality is akin to entering into not only self-gratification and self-corruption, but to, to step into very worship of demonic presence. That you turn whatever backseat, dark-roomed bed into an altar of demonic worship when you engage in that sin. And I don't say that as a, a condemnation, but a sobering reality that what God has proclaimed here and consistently is that for those who reject God's offer of salvation, that they share in the same fate as the seed of the enemy of eternal burning torment. To understand this very truth that God has promised he is going to wipe out sin. This is the amazing promise for those who place their faith in the gracious, completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is exactly what has happened to your sin. That God promised he will wipe out sin and when you place your faith in Jesus, God says as far as the east is from the west, he wiped it out. Consistent to his character in every way. Full of truth and grace and that is why that is why we we understand the meaning of Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death purchased and paid for by a loving God the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord repentance redemption is as easy as coming to God and saying I have allowed myself to be corrupted. I need forgiveness. 
It may not be that easy. It is that simple. And by genuinely placing your faith in Christ, the very thing that came to this earth in the flood, the very thing that is coming to the end of this world as it will melt away, it happened on the cross where God's wrath was carried out and literally sin was obliterated. And by simple faith, you share in that promise as the incorruptible seed of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, I just pray that every single one of us will not walk out of this room with, with condemnation, that Lord, if there is a sin that we're struggling with, that we can see your amazing promise, that we don't have to try and earn our way, that we don't have to try and be perfect, but God, by simple faith, we are declared spotless faith in you. How fitting that this man's Noah's name is rest. God, would everyone in this room come to a place where they rest and your completed gracious work of the cross. And would that motivate us? Would that motivate us to live lives, to glorify you, and to be as Noah, by our lives, preachers of righteousness? Would we live it? Would we speak it? By your power, by your strength, make us new. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.